0: The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Meet Janet LaBreck, the Commissioner of the Rehabilitation Services Administration and learn more about ACB Radio in part two of our chat with its director, Larry Turnbull. Welcome to ACB Reports for February, 2014. As members of the American Council of the Blind gathered in Columbus, Ohio for the organization's annual conference and convention in July of last year, Janet LeBreck had recently been appointed commissioner of the Rehabilitation Services Administration, RSA. <laughs> Ms. LeBrec spoke about her goals for RSA.
1: I really am excited about making this new journey into Washington, D.C. as the RSA commissioner. I think we have um, both a very complex time ahead of us, but I think also a very exciting time. It's really opportunity and about opportunity. Many of you know the issues nationally as well as locally in terms of what we've been dealing with uh, legislatively and programmatically with respect to not only the blindness community, but the disability community at large. I'd like to just focus on a couple of areas that I think are significant and that I think where there is opportunity and certainly the possibility that we can further some of these national issues that we've been dealing with for a very long time. And I think I'll start with the most obvious, which is the Workforce Investment Act and the reauthorization of the rehabilitation policies and programs each one of us here who has availed themselves of rehabilitation services know how important it is and how critical it is to not only have a set of policies and regulations and legislation that impact each one of our lives if you've had that opportunity to take advantage of rehabilitation services. I in no way stand here before you to say that there is any system that is perfect I've seen the imperfections, I've experienced them as a consumer, and one of the challenges that I face will be to deal with some of those issues and to really begin the process of looking at the rehabilitation programs and services that each one of us has had an opportunity to take advantage of from a holistic perspective. The rehabilitation programs around the country have changed, and there's always room for improvement And change never goes away, as each one of us knows. I think what is critical and what is important about what we do as individuals, and whether you're a professional within the field, or whether you're a consumer taking advantage of those particular services, or whether you're a provider or an advocate. The one thing that is important is that the services are delivered from that holistic perspective and that we need to keep in mind that we are no longer in a position where we are providing these services or receiving these services from an advantage point that says these services are for you and they're about you, but that we are partners in this process. And that's how I see my role as a professional. That's how I would have loved to have seen my role as a consumer, is that this is a partnership. And with that partnership comes great responsibility, but also with it comes challenges. And each one of us knows that we've been trying over the years to look at the issue of reauthorization for the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 as amended, and that the reauthorization process brings with it both opportunity as well as challenges. Where we need to get to is in the middle, is that we need to have consensus and we need to have compromise as part of the reauthorization of the Rehabilitation Act. One of the things that I feel very strongly about as a current commissioner of the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind is engaging the community. It is really difficult to provide these types of services without engaging the community. And that we're not and don't want to be nor should we be perceived as a paternalistic or maternalistic entity that is here to say we know what's best for you as a consumer receiving services and that the word partnership truly means standing side by side as consumers as partners as professionals in the field to not only impact the services that we're providing on behalf of an individual But also, we have a huge responsibility to ensure that we're making the field better than it was. Many of you have been around long enough to know and see the changes that have come as a result of some of the changing legislation over the years. And I'm really hopeful that we can continue that process and looking at ways that we can recenter or better position the service delivery system so that we are able to maximize as much as possible the opportunity for our consumers, our families, individuals who are receiving these services so that they can become more progressive, certainly more integrated, and I think that we're actually changing the field and that we're not only changing the field in terms of regulations and policies, but we're changing attitudes and not just the attitudes of individuals or providers or professionals, but the society perspective. How we as individuals as disabilities know that having a disability, the barriers that that imposes, and that many times those regulations and practices and policies have the opportunity to do one of two things. It can impact how we provide the services, but it also has a significant impact and how we want to be perceived as a disability community at large. And that we have a great responsibility to make sure that we're always growing with those responsibilities. And that change isn't easy, we recognize that it's very difficult legislation as many of you know you've been advocates and very effective advocates for a very long time in your organization so you know the challenges of working and meeting with legislators getting people to understand that this isn't just a rule it isn't just a regulation it isn't just a law that these regulations and policies are about individuals they're about their families and it's about our community And most importantly of all, it's about our country and how we are going to deliver services, help individuals who need the assistance that we're here to provide in a way that is least restrictive, that is minimizing or diminishing or eliminating those barriers, and that individuals with disabilities in this country have the opportunity and have the right to take advantage of as many services and be as integral part of society, productive, independent individuals and that's what we're striving for, am I right? One of the areas that I feel very strongly about and am working very hard in Massachusetts to impact as well is the youth. Looking at some of the issues that are impacting our youth today, in many ways from my generation to the youth who are receiving services today, there's a huge difference. The fact that many of the vendors and providers are here today, the fact that we now have very important national legislation that many of you worked very, very hard to secure on behalf of individuals who are blind, and the other legislation that also has been impacted by other disability groups nationally. From that perspective, we're at a very different place today than where we were when I was a teenager. The fact that we have adaptive technology that enables us to be effective communicators and enables us to go to work is significant. The challenges that we are facing today is transition. And these are the individuals who we need to work with. These are the individuals who we want to encourage and to ensure that they have every opportunity to really become truly independent and successful in our society today. We still face issues of advocacy, we still face issues of literacy. We know that in the disability community at large, literacy is an incredibly important barrier that we still face today. And it is for the entire society, but it's more critical for the disability community. Because without those literacy skills, without ensuring that our youth have as much opportunity and as much knowledge and information and skills that they are going to need today. And it's far more than when it was when I was a teenager. Technology is changing so rapidly. I don't have to tell you guys that. You know it. We live it. We're using it every day, and it's extremely difficult to keep up with. And yet it feels as though sometimes the more those barriers come up, We may knock down a few, but then a few more go up, and that's the challenge. We need to address and deal with some of our own issues that are within our own communities and making sure that our education system has a very clear understanding about the challenges that our students, our family members, our children face as individuals with disabilities growing up today. So in spite of the fact that we may have more services available to us today, the challenge becomes making sure that people have access to those services. (laughs) Employment is incredibly challenging. Mitch and I were just having a discussion prior to my coming up to talk about employment and what some of those challenges are, not just for individuals who are blind and have a single disability, but for many of those individuals who have multiple challenges. And today, you're far more likely to encounter an individual who doesn't just have one disability. And I don't mean that just about young people. The fact that individuals are living longer makes it much more probable that we are going to be living with multiple disabilities. Technology, the advances in medical procedures, the fact that we have many more systems now available who can accommodate our needs. And while all those things are great, they also present with significant issues. Seniors today don't necessarily want to receive their services in the same way that my parents or my grandparents received them. Technology is enabling them to take advantage of technology today. They're learning those skills. They're on the Internet. They're emailing. They're tweeting. They're doing everything that we all do. Our transition-age youth have much more opportunity, as I said previously, than we had growing up. The challenge for transition-age youth today with regard to employment is complex, and there isn't just one issue. How do we keep up with technology? How do we work with these companies to ensure that they're providing the maximum opportunity for us to utilize and access that technology? Just because a law is in place does not equal access. And so we need to have strategies for working with these companies. We need to demonstrate that we are a very large body of individuals with disabilities in this country. And that we also have buying power. The more we can employ individuals with disabilities, the more buying power they have. The more social interaction they have. The more legislative clout we have. And that this challenge for our community is going to be ongoing. We want to make sure that individuals with disabilities don't just have a few opportunities in employment. We want to make sure that if you decide that you want to be an astronaut, what are those barriers? How can we reduce those barriers? What can we put in place for those individuals to have that opportunity and to realize their dream? The STEM industry is presenting itself to everyone today in that today's labor market is not what the labor market was five years ago, and it certainly is not what the labor market was 10 years ago. The landscape is changing very rapidly. We need to ensure that our youth have the opportunity educationally to acquire those skills, that people should be attending college or some other type of vocational training program that will result in their ability to have employment That is, number one, their choice, and number two, that they have the skills that they're going to need to work effectively in the labor market that we have today. Because it isn't going backwards, it's only gonna continue to go forward. And so we need to address those issues, those challenges that our youth are facing. Our senior populations, as I said previously, are not the seniors of yesterday. Seniors are working longer, They have skills, they also have an income that is at the highest point than any other generation. Today's baby boomer generation has the income, but most importantly, they come to us as they age into disability with skills. They have a different attitude about being a senior. Years ago, we would ask those seniors to go into nursing homes. It was like almost an automatic. Well, you turn 65, time to hang up the cleats. But the closer we all get to 65, we're saying, hey, wait a minute. Uh, I don't think we wanna hang those cleats up just yet. We have something to offer this society. People with disabilities have something to offer. And I think that as we move forward from this day on, as we're looking at these very challenging, difficult issues, that it is really important, whether you're a senior, whether you're a transition student, whether you're helping those individuals who want to get just a skill that they can continue to go to work. I think what's important about what we have the opportunity here to do is it is about choice. It is about being inclusive. It is about preparing people in an effective way that they can continue to contribute to society. That's what's important. I really feel strongly also that internships with regard to employment have to play an important role. when I became commissioner for the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind in 2007, I came to that position as a consumer who never had an opportunity to have an internship. But I grew up with kids that they were fortunate enough to have had early work experience. All of us know here in this room, you probably know from your own perspective or from somebody else's, whether it's a family member or a colleague that when our youth grow up in this country with disabilities, it is rare for them to have that same opportunity. And when you think about it, how else can we begin to shape our attitudes about going to work if we don't do it early enough, if we aren't proactive about it, if our families don't help to encourage us, if our professionals are not there to give us as many options as possible to encourage these individuals to get that early work experience. Our internship program started with three in Massachusetts. In August, we are celebrating our 10th anniversary. When I first talked about creating an internship program, they said, you shouldn't do that. And I said, why not? And they said, well, first of all, you're new in your position you don't know what your position is yet you have to learn your position it's very labor intensive and what if you fail and i said you know if someone said that to your daughter or your son how would you feel about that if we're not about rehabilitation if we're not about providing encouragement if we're not about presenting the people who we are charged with serving with opportunity then what in the world are we doing This summer, we'll be hosting 86 individuals in Massachusetts who will have internships in every field of employment. And I think what is unique is that we don't choose the field for our consumers. They tell us, and I have made it our responsibility, beginning with me and moving right down to the base of our agency, we're all there as partners. We're working together to develop those critical internship opportunities and early work experience. Our governor in Massachusetts has hired a consumer of ours who is legally blind as his senior policy analyst. Our Secretary of State's office has hired five of our consumers as full-time employees. And we have individuals who are now employed throughout state government in Massachusetts. So it will be my great pleasure, my opportunity, continue to look at these types of issues nationally. We need a national model. We need an emphasis, a focus on what it is that we're doing and how can we do it better. And I think there has to be room for innovation and creativity so that we can be the best providers of those services to our consumers. I want to thank you for inviting me here today. I look forward to working with everyone. And Mitch, thank you again. I appreciate it.
0: That was Janet Lebrecht, Commissioner of the Rehabilitation Services Administration, recorded in Columbus, Ohio in July of 2013.
2: From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports.
0: In January, listeners to ACB Reports learned about ACB Radio, the internet broadcast service of the American Council of the Blind. Its director, Larry Turnbull, joins us again this month to continue the discussion of this worldwide broadcast service. Since the coverage of ACB Radio is international in scope, how do you coordinate schedules from all over the world?
2: Currently, ACB Radio uses the eastern U.S. time zone as its primary guide time, and the reason we've done that is for those that broadcast on ACB Radio, we make sure that they don't have to worry about switching start and end times for their shows, or most of them anyway. There's still some that may have to do that when we go back and forth between standard and daylight savings time, and I'm working on getting a translator up on the webpage that can translate to different times browsing the schedules on there, uh, they could choose which time zone they're in and it'll display the
0: schedule. Let's uh, talk about the schedule for just a minute. On the mainstream, how many hours of programming appear each day?
2: Right now it depends on the day of the week because some days, you know, we may have only two or three hours of programming before it repeats in other days. We've got almost eight hours of programming. Before it uh, repeats.
0: How about on the Treasure Trove?
2: Treasure Trove right now, it repeats every four hours. But we're looking at adding more programming so we can uh, have it not repeat quite as often. But it repeats every four hours. And then at midnight Eastern time, it goes into the next day's rotation, which has a different set of shows that it airs.
0: Talk about ACB Radio Interactive. What's involved in being a participant as an announcer? How much training is involved, and what do you need in order to do that?
2: First of all, you need a good collection of music in MP3 format. And the reason we specify MP3 in particular, because we're with a service called Stream Licensing, which uh, makes us DMCA compliant, and you have to title stream there, so MP3... Files have tags in them where you can see the artist and the uh, song titles on your player. When you're listening to the stream, you'll be able to see the different titles come across the screen.
0: So if I put my vinyl collection onto MP3 files, I have to go into the property sheet, fill out all of that stuff in order to make that work and be street legal for you?
2: Correct. But you only have to worry about artist and song title. You don't have to worry about album, record label, and, and all that which makes things a lot easier because there's some stuff that might be out of print, especially when you get into the older content, and it might be hard to locate that information. The other thing you'd need is broadcast software such as Station Playlist or some still even use Winamp with the assorted plugins to make it connect to our server and and be able to stream audio to us.
0: How does one become a participant in ACB Radio in terms of content, uh, being a DJ, whatever?
2: Send an email to support at acbradio.org, and I'll uh, get back with you, and we'll figure out uh, what kind of show you want to do. Because at this point, you can either be a music
0: Providing content. How many times a week? How many times a month? What are you looking for?
2: Some of the content that we have for mainstream is updated weekly. Some of it is updated monthly. We can work the schedule out to reflect that. It all depends on how often you want to update that content. Also, the choice for the length of the show is either a half hour or one hour, we do have one presenter on the mainstream that has a two-hour show. For interactive, most of the broadcasters are doing either two- or three-hour slots once a week.
0: And it does take a a commitment on my part to say, okay, I'm going to commit to do this two-hour slot once a week or whatever.
2: Right. Of course, life's always going to throw curves at you at some point, so if there's a week that you can't do your show, just give us, at least three days notice, and we can uh, either get somebody in there to cover your slot for you, or we do have uh, automation that just plays a selection of different kinds of music, just like radio stations going into their automation mode when there's no live DJ on the air.
0: And your interactive shows, for the most part, though, are live. I can't send you a show and say, run this in three weeks or whatever.
2: Um, Actually, we have that capability now. Do encourage live shows for the listeners' benefit, but there's some cases where if the uh, DJ wants to uh, run a pre-recorded show, they can. But there's two things I would need from them. One, of course, is the show archive, you know, which would be an MP3 file because that's what our automation software. service to keep things uh, compliant because what the stream licensing service does for us is they report to the different copyright entities like SoundExchange, BMI, ASCAP, and CSAC. Those are the different entities that deal with the copyright royalties for the different artists out there.
0: Did you ever think in your wildest dream that you'd be programming and managing a worldwide radio station?
2: Uh, no. (laughs) ACB Radio, you know, it was fun doing the broadcasting and stuff, but I never dreamed that I would be up in the management position.
0: That was Larry Turnbull, director of ACB Radio, an internet broadcast service of the American Council of the Blind. You can listen to ACB Radio online by going to acbradio.org or over the telephone by calling 231-460-1047. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on Radio Information Services Nationwide, on Side 4 of the Braille Forum Cassette Edition, and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org.